Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. It's your Monday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarath and Stephen Means here running through the end of the NFL Draft. Six Ohio State Buckeyes drafted. Bunch of other guys signing as undrafted free agents. Stephen, we have some overall stats we want to look at. Can I start with the weird one? And we'll get into Haskell Garrett not getting drafted and where Thayer Munford went and Tyreek Smith and everybody else. But I want to start with this. Ohio State did not lead the Big Ten in draft picks. In this draft, Ohio State had six. That was second in the Big Ten, and it tied for seventh overall among schools. Stephen, what are we to make of the idea that the Penn State Nittany Lions led the Big Ten in draft picks with eight in this draft? The Penn State team was old, and the Ohio State's team was not. Like, I mean, we've said it, Ohio, six of the seven guys Ohio State had. In the, had who were eligible to actually realistically get drafted, get drafted. While Penn State, I mean, they had eight guys get drafted, but how many guys did they actually have, you know, who were eligible and had a realistic shot of getting drafted? So it's just, it's just one of those years, man. It's really no different than the 2014 team who won a national championship. And I think they only had like five guys drafted from that roster. And that's because everybody was so young. It's just the only the perception is different because this team didn't win a national championship. They didn't even get to the playoff, but the concept is still the same. It just wasn't a large net out there for, it wasn't a large cast of Ohio State football players out there to get drafted in the first place. You are correct. Five players drafted in 2015 after the national championship year. And then they come back in 2016 and 12 Buckeyes are drafted because that's when, Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Darren Lee and Von Bell and Eli Apple and all those guys are picked. I do. It was a reminder to me a little bit, Stephen, that last year, the quarterback injury that absolutely derailed Penn State season was really a missed opportunity for them because I I thought it sort of as we prepped for that game when Ohio State was going to meet Penn State. And then I thought we saw it to a decent degree in that game. That Penn State defense was pretty good. So they had eight guys drafted. They had a number, a true number one receiver in Jahan Dotson. He goes in the first round. Here's their only first round pick. Their punter got picked. Who knew? Did you know that Penn, that Penn State's punter was so prolific, Stephen? No, it's, it's, I mean, 
congrats to him, man. I'm always happy to see some of the specialists get drafted, especially when they get drafted over like skill position guys. When they're like the fourth and fifth round, it's like, man, you were so good that they place more value on you than like a defensive end. I think it was, what was, who was the quarterback that went, who was the last big quarterback that Brock, went, was it? I think it was Brock Purdy from well, Iowa State. Well, he was Mr. Irrelevant, but Sam yeah. Howell, Sam Howell, who was Sam Howell got drafted after Jordan Stout, the Penn State. Yeah. <laughs> That's how rough of a draft it was for Sam Howell. And then they had Rasheed Walker, their tackle drafted. He was, I think, a bigger prospect viewed that way a year ago. He didn't go until the seventh round. But the bottom line is they had eight draft picks. They had five guys picked off that defense who were all really good college players. Arnold Abikadi at defensive end was a second rounder. Jaquan Brisker was as good of a safety as you'll find. He was a second rounder. Brandon Smith, who's a super talented, like borderline five-star linebacker. He goes in the fourth round. Tariq Castro-Fields, another great member of that secondary in the sixth round. And then Jesse Lucchetti, linebacker in the seventh round. That that We're going to try to evaluate Penn State going into this year. And it's like, Hey, Drew Aller's there. They had Nicholas Singleton at running back is going to be better for them. And then they lost Jahan Dotson, but Parker Washington's still good. Their defense is going to take a step back. And they, they were a barely 500 team last year with it, Steven, because once Sean Clifford got hurt, they literally had no backup quarterback and they really blew it because you saw what Michigan did last year. This is not quite Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, Daxton Hill level of defense, but while Ohio State was having a lot of trouble playing defense last year, Penn State knew how to play defense. They had dudes, and it didn't get them anywhere. Yeah, they lost four out of five games during that stretch. Um, the Iowa game, the Illinois game, which was 35 million overtimes, and yep. um, obviously the Ohio State game, and then they lost the Michigan game. How different does that five-game stretch where you only beat Michigan look if Sean Clifford's healthy? Yeah. Or if his backup quarterback is a five-star quarterback who, even if he's a true freshman, I mean, J.J. McCarthy was a true freshman, too, and he flashed some things, but he got an opportunity to show some stuff. So how different is it? But at the same time, it's because it's Penn State and not Ohio State where it is kind of like a, a, a rebuild and not like a reload, even if it's not completely drastic. I wonder if Penn State fans look at that draft and think we kind of missed the mark to do something, especially now that we see that Michigan got to the playoff. Yeah. By beating Ohio State. I do think that because like if if Kate McNamara had gotten hurt the way Sean Clifford got hurt last year, Michigan would have put in J.J. McCarthy and said, here we go. Maybe we'll limit Mm -hmm. the offense, pare down the playbook. But we have a chance here and Penn State just did not have a chance. So I don't know that I knew going into the draft. I mean, all these guys were talking about it's like, well, is Jaquan Brisker going to get picked? Of course. Is Tariq Castro Fields going to get picked? I certainly think so. Brandon Smith. Yeah, that guy's a draft pick. We knew their defense was talented that they let it just kind of a weird year. But as you said, a big part of it is that Ohio state finishes second with six picks tied for third in the big 10 Michigan and Wisconsin five each. It isn't another reminder, Steven Michigan was really about a handful of dudes. Michigan was a very good football team last year, but they had three guys who were first round talents, Aiden Hutchinson and Dax Hill at safety. They actually go in the first round. David Ojabo goes at 46. I think it was. He mm-hmm. very well may have been a first round if he didn't get hurt um, at his pro day. And then like Hassan Haskins, nice physical running back. He's a mid round guy, but this was not right. Cincinnati winds up with nine draft picks is third overall, the number of picks. It's not like Michigan had that Michigan didn't make the playoff and pump out 11 picks. So it makes me curious about, listen, they have a lot 
you can't replace Aiden Hutchinson. And Aiden Hutchinson was a game wrecker. But this was not – Georgia had 15, right? Oh, Michigan lost to Georgia yeah. in the playoff. Georgia had 15 draft picks. Michigan had five. I Maybe, maybe Stephen, listen, you can't replace Ajabo and Hutchinson. But they are bringing back a decent core of the team that beat Ohio State last year. And as opposed to, hey, it was like a one-time thing and that's it. I almost think it's a – is it like a reverse credit to Michigan that they made the playoff and then only had five draft picks? Just the way we're talking about Ohio State was a very good football team and only had six draft picks, it must mean there's some stuff left on the roster. Yeah, it's – to me, it's a heck of a coaching job. I'm going to throw the Aiden Hutchinson part out of that because he's a top three pick, man, and they're throwing Bosa's name out there with him. And how often have we seen that at Michigan? where a guy it comes in at highly rated and he pops the way that Aiden Hutchinson did, it even took four years. I'm more concerned about they've had Daxton Hills before, but like who's their next Daxton Hill? And even I will say that if they're going to play football the way they played last year, Michigan will still be good again, especially offensively, simply because of their two running back system, they kept the better running back with play quorum. And they might have another even better running back underneath them now that Donovan Edwards yeah. is going to be a second-year guy. So the question isn't, okay, can Michigan come out here and run the ball 50 times a game and do what they did last year, especially if the weather permits it? Then, yeah, I think they can do that. The question is, can they replace all they lost defensively, especially in the back end when Ohio State has the receiving core it has? That's going to be yeah. – because Aiden Hutchinson apparently is once it's literally once in a generation for Michigan because the other guy was like that, was also a Hutchinson. It's more about can you replace the other guys on that defense who are gone as well? And the big thing for Michigan, too, is they're replacing both coordinators yes. and Mike McDonald on the defensive side and Josh Gaddis on the offensive side. And so that's going to be a big part of that, of course. So, again, Michigan and Wisconsin tied for third in the Big Ten with five, four picks each for Michigan State and Minnesota. And I will say, listen, I, you know, people who are an Ohio State fan, uh, do you care that much about other schools? And you're, if you listen to this, maybe you're a Browns fan. Do you care about the Steelers? I thought one of the great stories of the weekend was that Cameron Hayward, obviously great Buckeye, the son of Ironhead Hayward, who was a legend at Pitt. The Hayward kids grew up in Georgia. Ironhead Hayward passed away while Cam Hayward was just starting to get recruited. His mom, Charlotte, takes over that recruitment, and he winds up at Ohio State. They have a lot of Pittsburgh roots. And then Cam Hayward gets picked by the Steelers. And what an amazing story it is. And then his younger brother, Connor, is a fullback at Michigan State, and Connor Hayward gets picked by the Steelers. So both Hayward boys wind up in the city where their late father became a legend. And and again, Cam Hayward's in the book. When I was trying to find Cam and his mom, Charlotte, the phone number I actually found was Connor Hayward's phone number. And I called Connor Hayward and was like, Hey, I'm trying to reach your family. He was like, yeah, here's my mom's number. And I was like, well, that's very nice of you. And then at the combine, I, I found Connor Hayward at the combine and said, yeah. hey, thanks for passing that number along. And then he got picked by his brother's team. And I just like, Stephen, it warms my heart. Haywards are a great family. What a wonderful story. That's awesome. Did you see Cam Hayward's tweet? <laughs> Guess I got a new roommate. <laughs> yeah. And then he went right to like, I can't wait to haze my brother. And it was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can we have five more minutes of warm feelings before we get to the part where you're going to make your carry your shoulder pads to practice every day? Um, but what a what an outstanding thing! A tremendous family, Minnesota and Michigan State, both with four, three picks each: Illinois, Nebraska, and Purdue, and that includes, of course, David Bell winding up with the Cleveland Browns where they are going to put some stuff on him at the moment. He might be their number two receiver. Mm -hmm. uh, Two picks each for Iowa, um, Maryland and Rutgers. Bo Melton was a very popular, like late pick. It's one of those things, Stephen, people get all excited. I think Bo Melton went in the seventh round, but by the time that came around, every bit of the coverage was like, Oh, best player available. Bo Melton. Bo Melton. He goes 229 mm-hmm. to Seattle. Um, that'd be a great thing if that hits for Rutgers at all. One pick for Indiana and the only school in the Big Ten with no draft picks, the Northwestern Wildcats. That also, that one pick from Indiana, Stephen, and it's Micah McFadden, who like is a heck of a football player, but is also, I wrote a big story last year after that game about how Ohio State like took Micah McFadden out of the game and then they steamrolled Indiana. It was like, yeah, Indiana had one NFL player. And Ohio State game planned around him, and that was it. I think the people, I think in the end, Stephen, last year, there were more people who were sort of reverse engineering. People are going too far with Indiana, and I don't believe it. But if you did wind up saying, hey, I think Indiana could win 10 games because they had a good year in the COVID year, they had one NFL draft pick off that team. And it's like Indiana kind of fell off a cliff last year. And it's like, yeah, look, it should not be a shock. I still can't believe they did what they did in 2020. I understand it's That's, a COVID it's a year. Miracle. Yeah. It, it literally does it. And the more, the, the further we get away from it, the less sense it makes that that happened. And more importantly, it's not so much that they basically put themselves in a position where they probably could have been playing for a big 10 championship. They made Ohio state's offense look like one of the worst offenses in the country for a half with nobody, <laughs> nobody. With like, I don't, and I just, yeah, it really is is feeling like just sort of a miracle. We'll look back, right? We'll look back yeah. in a decade on the COVID season and say, here's where the here were the teams that took advantage of it, and here were the teams that fell apart in it. And I think right in the Big Ten, you have as good of an example on either side as mm-hmm. in you have Indiana on had a breakout season that was probably helped by COVID because it was weird and Penn state and Michigan both fell off a cliff in the middle of COVID. And then it's like, Oh, is Michigan dead? It's like, no, Michigan's going to be a playoff team in a year. It was just a horrible year for them. So, um, you know, you get reminded, it's not like we don't know this stuff, Stephen, but you get reminded sometimes about how all this stuff fits together. Cause the draft doesn't lie. Draft don't lie. This is money time. No one's making, no one's picking anybody for favors, right? This is not mm-hmm. great underdog stories. This is like, it's time to find the best 250 players in the country and start paying them to play football. So uh, that was the reality of that. When we come back, a couple of the numbers I want to cover, and then we'll get down to the final picks, what we thought of where Tyreek Smith, Thayer Munford, Haskell Garrett, Master Teague, some other guys ended up drafted and undrafted. Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means. You know what, Stephen, let's get to the, the players and then we'll finish up with like the last round of numbers. Let's start with what I do think uh, some people were surprised by, and that is the fact that Haskell Garrett did not get picked. When we did our draft projections, and I do have the final totals on that, we'll reveal who was the best at the uh, mock draft picks. Was it Steven? Was it Nathan? 
was it me? And I will tell you, it, it was not me. But Haskell Garrett was the thing that I was the closest to getting right because Nathan had him at 184. You had him at 188. I had him at 225 in the seventh round, and he did not get picked. What was your view sort of watching that unfold, Stephen? And then the final reality of undrafted Haskell Garrett, who two years ago was a first-team All-American. Yeah, when I was sitting down writing my predictions, I thought about it for a second. Like, what if this guy doesn't get picked? Because his combine numbers aren't great. I think he's just – and it's this is a former top 100 recruit who – I mean, he developed fine, but it took him five years to develop that to be fine like that. It's not like in, in his year three was 2019. And I think he was probably third in that three tech rotation on that 2019 team, just based off what else they had interior there. So if it came down to, yeah, he's quality, but he's not a really good. He's not that good of an athlete and his numbers don't necessarily pop out at you. Clear he's going to get signed after the draft, but I guess I'm not all that surprised, even with what you said, 188 for me. I guess even with that saying that, I'm not all that surprised he wasn't picked. What I said uh, to texters on Saturday was, he, I think he's he's not as big as the big defensive tackles, and he's not as quick as the quick defensive tackles, and it winds up that there are guys who are very good college football players who just don't quite fit what you need to do to make it in the NFL. And I do think one comparison that is leaping to mind to me a little bit is Mike Brewster, who was a five-star recruit starting offensive lineman in the Terrell Pryor era, a very good player here. And I can remember all of us anticipating that he was going to be a mid-round pick the year that he came out in the draft and he did not get picked. And then he did get signed by Jacksonville and he actually played a little bit in the NFL, but it was like, what happened? Mike Brewster, he was starting at Ohio state as a freshman. This guy was like a, a rock a part of the rock solid foundation of the Ohio state Buckeyes in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. How could this be? And Mike Brewster has now gone on and is having a very sex- successful college coaching career. Very interestingly, I think I actually did. I wanted to say hi to him and I saw him, but I didn't get a chance to say hi to him. He actually is on the Tennessee state staff. He's been hired by Eddie George. He was working in the Mac. He got hired by Eddie George. Buckeyes looking out for Buckeyes. So he's going to make it as a coach, just like a lot of former Buckeyes do. But he just, Stephen, he, we, was he a very good college player? Yes. Did he have all that? Like, was he small? No, he wasn't small. Was he slow? No, he wasn't slow. He was just, athletically, he was just fine. And sometimes when you're a very good lineman who athletically is just fine, they miss you. Because they find some guy at, you know, Georgia State or Idaho A&T who's some 328-pound guy who runs the three-cone as fast as a blur. And we don't know who that is, but they do. And then over here, you have very good Ohio State offensive lineman who's just an okay athlete. It's like, nope, we're okay. And I, that just feels like that's what happened here. Those guys are always interesting. They pop up in every sport. Those guys who are like really dominant at the college level, but then they get to the pro level and it doesn't necessarily click. Um, and that's not said. He might go on to still have a really good NFL career. It's just like, this is how he's going to have to make his career, make his you know, money at this point, because you're right. 
once you get into five, six, seven, where you're just trying to fill out your rosters with quality guys, you do kind of look for the special trait yep. of a guy who might be something a little bit more if you just develop it a little bit. And so the guys who are just quality football players who don't necessarily have that special trait, they kind of get pushed to the back burner. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And you wind up looking for yeah certain traits that you like at certain positions. So, so I just think that happened to Haskell Garrett. Where did he sign? Tennessee? Yes, he is headed to Tennessee with NPF. So Buckeyes looking out for Buckeyes. Yeah, going down to Mike Rabel. So he'll certainly have an opportunity there. And again, Andrew Norwell, another surprisingly undrafted Ohio State Buckeye offensive line, winds up making like $80 million in the NFL. Andrew Norwell was an all-Big Ten pick and then did not get picked. And we were kind of like, what? And then he was like, yeah, what? And went and blew it up in the NFL. So there's always that possibility but I think I thought Norwell was a really weird miss because like Norwell was big and strong and like had an NFL body. Whereas I can see a little bit more with Haskell Garrett, and Mike Brewster, how maybe they don't quite have an NFL body. Norwell, I just think was like a weird miss by the NFL. I just think I, I don't know that, you know, best of luck to Haskell Garrett and all these guys. But I think you just maybe at the next level, you're just a little bit not quite what they're looking for. Thayer Munford. Nathan, uh, I had him going at 141 overall. You had him at 153. Nathan had him at 164. He lasts till 238 to the Vegas Raiders, well into the seventh round. What did you think of that position for Thayer Munford in the draft? I think we might have downplayed his back injuries a little bit, and I think that popped up on some people's radar because um, that's a chronic thing. That's not a, oh, you hurt your back once and then you were back. But then also he had some injuries. He had an ankle thing last year. Yeah. Um, because his talent is in the mid-hundreds, I think so. Especially since he's he can play guard and tackle. But if teams started looking at that medical sheet, kind of like with Kobe Bean, where it's like the talent is there, but if the medical sheet is marked up with red all over the place, uh, we're going to wait on that. I don't think any of us you know, thought about that when we were, decided, when we were predicting where he was going to go. A back surgery in college is tough. And yes. he had he has already had his back operated on. That's not, that's not just even like having your ACL done or an Achilles. So I think you're right. I do think this is more medical than anything else. Although I also was surprised because everybody made a big deal. Listen, they did what they had to do to get the five guys on the field they thought would make the best offensive line. And in the end, that required Thayer Munford to move from tackle to guard. When they did it, it's like, oh, it'll be good for him. It'll be prove he's versatile and all these things. We kind of bought it because I think I think I thought to myself, well, Thayer Munford moving to guard, I think he might be a guard anyway because he's mm-hmm. not six eight with a gigantic wingspan, right? He maybe he just fits more at guard. I was watching the NFL Network pro, uh, broadcast of the draft, not ESPN, and Daniel Jeremiah on the NFL Network said, "I like him better at tackle than at guard," and then they were talking about the situation that the Raiders have. And listen, when you're a seventh rounder, they're not drafting you to come start, but they had taken Alex Leatherwood in the first round last year out of Alabama. And they, he was a tackle that they moved to guard. And they said, they think mm-hmm. they want to keep him at guard and there might be an opening at right tackle. And that surprised me a little bit, Steven, that we thought, Oh, you know, versatile is probably his more natural position for him to wind up playing inside his last year at Ohio state. And then we, I mean, he put down some very good film at tackle in 2020. As we know, he and NPF, we talk about it a lot. They really did some things. 
And then for Daniel Jeremiah, I say, I just think he, I think he is a tackle. I like him better at tackle. I was a little surprised by that because body type, I guess I maybe think guard. But then when I thought about it, I thought, well, maybe that's right. I think his PFF grades might be better at tackle than they were at guard. So I'll be very curious to see where he winds up. Listen, it'll be what the Raiders need. Somebody will get hurt. There'll be an opening. I do think he can play both. But I'll be curious in the end, what's his best position in the NFL? I don't want to disagree with Daniel Jeremiah because he scouts people for a living and I watch Ohio State football for a living. So I don't want to, you know, so it's just, but because I watched Thayer Munford for the most part, I don't know how much of that is what his skill set is versus he was a four year starter at tackle. So he knows what he's doing at left tackle for Ohio. I mean, I mean, across multiple quarterbacks, we're talking Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, CJ Stroud, he has started that game, at least one game at tackle and played multiple snaps at tackle for all three of those quarterbacks. So I don't know if it's the, it might just be more of that. Cause I think he can play. I'm not saying he can't play tackle in the league, but it does, it does feel like because he knows that position so well, especially as a seventh round pick, that might be his best way to just make the team right now. Even if down the road, they move him all over the place. So I, I think you might be onto something there. Uh, 2018 plan tackle for Ohio state. He played 150 snaps for Ohio state as a true freshman in, in 2017, mm-hmm. 2018. He's the starter. His PFF overall grade is 67.5 2019 year two as a starter at tackle. His overall PFF grade is 76.9. So it goes up quite a bit. 2020, his third year as a tackle, his PFF grade is 91.8, which is tremendously high. 2021, his first year at guard, his PFF grade is 73.7. So he got better every year at tackle. And then when he played guard for the first time, his PFF grade went down by 18 points. And that could be right. That it's like, let Thayer Munford get comfortable. He might not be a first impression lineman. There are a lot of first impression linemen. Like, Mm -hmm. my goodness, your shoulders seem to go forever. And holy moly, your thighs look like tree trunks. And how is someone that tall and that heavy, that athletic? You do not seem like a typical human being. And Thayer Munford is big, but you don't walk up to Thayer Munford necessarily and go, whoa. Mm -hmm. But over time, it's like, you know who's good at football? Thayer Munford is. And then because he moved for the good of the team, in the end, it did not help him. We thought, hey, you're doing it because you're a team player and it's what your coach is asking you to do. But it actually also might mesh with what's best for your career. And that last part turned out not to be true. So is DeWan Jones the only person who benefited from them doing all that last year then? Because, I mean, Paris had to play guard, which he's never done in his life. Um I mean, Luke Whipple is not even in this conversation because he literally only started because Harry Miller was dealing with some off-the-field issues, as we know now. Um, Nicholas Petit-Frere, I don't know. Uh, he probably goes at that same exact spot anyway if he's he playing rocket, right tackle. He didn't rocket up the draft boards because yeah. he left tackle for a year. No. Yeah, so it's like he's just, okay, he got drafted at the same exact spot. So, yeah, is Dewan Jones potentially being a first-round pick next spring the only benefit Ohio State got out of that offensive line? That'll be a good story next spring. How Dewan Jones ruined the NFL careers of three other Ohio State offensive linemen by yes. winning a job in 2021. Um, so I do, because I do think, so he goes in the seventh round, Stephen, and I do think we both agree the medicals were an issue. 
Do you think he would have been higher than a seventh round pick if he'd come out after 2020? Yes. I do too. Yeah, for sure. With that grade, with what he yeah. did at tackle in a weird COVID year, showing up for work every day, doing his job, mm-hmm. grading out super high, third year starter at left ta- at left tackle. We almost might have oversold it, which we can do sometimes. Like we probably, I don't know, somebody would have tried to make the case for there. Munford might be a third round draft pick, and it's yeah. like no, he's going to be a fifth rounder. But I, yeah, for sure, would have went higher. The same medicals, and with the so same I, exact medicals. But it's just that I do think the point you made that. When he gets comfortable doing something, 2020 was him comfortable. 2021 was him less comfortable. And then that's his last bit of tape before he goes off into the league. So I do think in the end, for the Raiders to get him in the seventh round, we said it, offensive linemen picked in the middle rounds and late rounds happens all the time. You make a career out of it. I do think his back's going to have to hold up, but I do think that could be a really good pick because – there's like a specific thing with him. And like, again, get to get, just to get back to Haskell Garrett for a second. In 2020, we talked a lot about the two defensive tackles at Ohio State and how Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett worked so well together. They were such a good pair. But it's Haskell Garrett that got the first team All-American honors. And then Togi, to, to, Tommy Togiai goes to the NFL draft, gets picked in the fourth round, has a bit of a redshirt year with the Browns. But I imagine that he is going to be right in the mix for the Browns in year two. Maybe not a starter, but I think he's going to play a good number of snaps. Haskell Garrett maybe probably was the more productive college player when the two of them were together in 2020. But Tommy Togiai has more of a thing Mm -hmm. that fits space eater, right? More of a nose guy take up and has the size and just the strength. He's probably was the strongest guy on the team at Ohio state. He just fits the NFL a little bit better than Haskell Garrett did. Yeah, it's why it wasn't completely crazy when Togiai left, when he easily could have came back and probably up to stock. But then when he goes on the Zoom call and he says, yeah, I can develop there or I can get paid a million dollars to develop. It's like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He has a special trait. So let's start tapping it. So let's let a professional football team tap into that trait and pay you, even if it means that you're there's like six or seven games where you don't even dress. And then we get down to Tyreek Smith, who wound up much closer to what we thought. He goes at pick 158 in the fifth round. Uh, I had him earlier than that. I think I'm in the fourth round at 121. You had him at 139. Nathan Baird has him at 155. He goes 158. I tweeted, I could see Tyreek Smith for the Browns at 156. And then the Browns took Jerome Ford from Cincinnati, which I think was a very mediocre pick. And then Tyreek Smith goes two picks later at 158. And watching, for some reason at that point, whenever either network just like tried to do something heartwarming or talk to the blue man group or talk to some Vegas person. I just yeah. flipped it to the other station that was talking about football. So at yeah. that point, when Tyreek Smith got picked, I was on ESPN and Todd McShay said, if he had been healthy his whole career, I think he's a second round guy. And instead he's a fifth round guy. And that to me was like, yes, that's kind of what we think about Tyreek Smith. So again, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to tell people sort of, I think what we think about Haskell Garrett, there really wasn't, I don't think in the end there was a thing holding Haskell Garrett back in this draft. We think mm-hmm. the medicals probably hurt Thayer Munford and changing position for his final year. And then just not being on the field as much as he should have been because of injuries hurt Tyreek Smith. 
But I don't think that's crazy to say, yes, this is a guy who, if he has a fully healthy Ohio State career, probably goes at least a couple rounds higher and seems to me like a very good fifth round pick. That's the Tyreek Smith story we've been saying this entire pod for the last couple of years here. It's like, look at what he did in the Clemson game. Look at when he flashed against Cincinnati in 2019. Look at the Penn State game where he was clearly the best defensive player on this team. Yeah, but like he'll do that and then he'll miss two weeks because he's on the unavailability report. Right. Um, and I, I, McShay's right. NFL teams looked at that more than they, especially when they're paying you at this point, your best ability is availability. And it's cool that you did what you did against Clemson, but we don't know if he can do that consistently. We know that's his ceiling. But at least, but that's what I want in the fifth round. I yeah, want an upside fair. swing. I want an upside yeah. swing where, hey, if this guy stays healthy, we think he's a third round talent in the fifth round. And so I like that pick. I would have liked that pick for the Browns. Like I, I just, there's more there. Like, that's the thing. We're just trying to put guys in contact. Yeah. Like, I don't know that. There, I don't think there's, I think we saw Haskell Garrett. He overcome, overcame unbelievable things. He got shot in the face and he was an All-American. Overcame unbelievable things. But I don't know that as a football player, there's more there. I think with Tyreek Smith, there is. And so to go to Seattle at 158, he can room with Kobe Bryant, younger brother of Christian Bryant, Cincinnati all uh, Award winner, who also got picked by the Seahawks. So that's two Cleveland kids going together to the Pacific Northwest. They can share a place. It'll be wonderful. But I, I will be, again, Tyreek Smith, you know, by the way, everybody knows this by now. Everybody, that's what everybody does in the draft. Here are the guys that we like. And then they have the draft. And then everyone says, grade the draft. And then you just give high grades to the teams that pick the guys that you like. I don't know why we have every draft guy do it. It's just the yeah. same thing. Everybody just thinks one thing about the draft. And then it's just, are you applying it in the future, in the present, or in the past? And it's the same thought process, but you get 12 different articles out of it. So we thought there were times when Tyreek Smith was the best player on the field for Ohio State's defense. That happened in several years of his career. So then he goes in the fifth round, and it's like, hey, I think that guy could be good. I think (laughs) it could be a good pick by Seattle. So we're just saying the same things we said about him for two years. But if he had been healthy, the reason he's – Available in the fifth round is because he had trouble staying on the field, but he's a good football player. I agree with that. I also, the thing I learned during that moment, because I think you, you might've done it a couple more times. I can't remember, but when you did the Tyreek Smith thing and then the Browns didn't pick him, it's that it's just another thing. Brian Hartline is better than you at is telling you cutting the Cleveland Browns who to pick because he told the world that they should pick David Bell. And then 40 seconds later, David Bell got picked by the Browns. But do you think that just because he played in the NFL for eight years and is one of the best position coaches in college football, that his opinion should carry more weight than mine? Honestly, I don't think that's what it is. I just think he's better looking than you. I, I could pull one of these things where I was covering college football when <laughs> Brian Hartline was taking ninth grade biology because I covered Brian Hartline in college. I covered Brian. Hart- I did a nice little story about the Hartline parents when his brother Mike, who's also in coaching now, was playing quarterback at Kentucky and Brian's playing receiver at Ohio State. And they're driving down from Canton and trying to go to both games on the same Saturday. And I'm talking to Mon Pa Hartline. What a heartwarming story it is. And now Brian Hartline's in Vegas with those short pants and no socks and the fancy shoes, hanging out with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And where am I? I'm here with you talking into a microphone at 954 on a Sunday night. 
what is with everyone just wears the short pants now? Your suit has the short pants and the yeah. no socks. That's just the thing. I've, I've loved watching fashion through the last 20, basically my entire life. We've gone from oversized clothes. Everything's baggy. And then we hit a little like three year window where everybody was wearing clothes that actually fit them. Yes. And now we are wearing clothes that are too tight. Like I even wear short shorts. I have short shorts on right now. So, yeah. I'm still trapped. We have friends just on a loop in the background in our house. My, my, my wife and I both work from home. It's like comfort food. It's 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 eating meatloaf. And the friends in the 90s are just draped in tarps. Every pair of jeans has two times as much denim as they need. Every untucked shirt is down to somebody's knees. And that is exactly how I dressed when I was in college. And if it's a good shirt, it might be 25 years old, but doesn't have holes in it. It's possibly how I still dressed out. It was very hard for me uh, to get out of the baggy jeans phase and slim my jeans. I now have slimmed my, all my jeans are slimmed down, but I don't know what I could do to get to the point where I could wear pants as tight as Brian Hartline wore in Vegas. I would have to not eat and only work out eight hours a day for like a year for me to ever wear pants that tight and that short. I just want the shoes Garrett Wilson had on. I think that we should, I think for Halloween, we used to, there were times when like Ari and Bill and I would dress up for Halloween and do videos. I do think for Halloween that you and Nathan and I could be Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Brian Hartline in that photo. And we can try to mimic <laughs> that. If that's, I'll be Hartline for that. I'll wear the tight pants for that. I'll ask Hartline if I can borrow them. Hartline. Find some pearls. <laughs> If you work on getting pearls yeah. and uh, and Nathan can get the suit that Olave had on. And I'll just ask Brian Hartline if I can borrow his tight pants. I'll just grab him in the hallway at the Woody one day. Brian, Brian, you know, those tight pants you wore to Vegas. Can I borrow them? That's a normal thing for a person to say to another human to say to the best receivers coach in America, just to walk up and say, can I borrow your tight pants? He would find that entirely appropriate. It'd be the last time we ever spoke. Okay. So those are the three guys who did get picked. Master Teague, Nathan, Nathan, so let's just to review, Nathan had a heck of a draft. He had Garrett Wilson 10th, Garrett Wilson went 10th. He had Chris Olave 16th, but to the Saints, he went 11th to the Saints. He had Nicholas Petit Frere at 71. Nicholas Petit Frere went at 69. Uh, on Rucker, you were actually the closest. You had 91. Nathan had 81. He went 101. Tyreek Smith, Nathan had him at 155. He went 158. So Nathan was nailing stuff all over the place. In the end, the uh, number of spots we were away from everybody, I gained a lot of ground by just picking Garrett a couple of spots later than you guys, and then didn't get picked at all. Nathan, in totality, was off by 183 spots total for the seven guys. You were off by 205, and I was off by 215. So I did the That's worst job, did the worst job predicting where guys would get picked. Um Master Teague, not picked. Nathan's missed. Nathan on the blast pod we did right before the draft said, I guess he said after day two, he said he thought it was more likely that both Haskell Garrett and Master Teague got picked than the fact that neither of them would get picked. The most likely scenario was Haskell gets picked, Master doesn't. Mm -hmm. It turns out they neither of them got picked. Master Teague to Chicago. Justin Fields. I just like it. You like it when people can have a brother, a friend, a guy to live with. I'm sure Justin Fields has a gazillion dollar apartment overlooking Lake Michigan. And maybe, yeah. maybe he'll let, let, I mean, like that actually might be it. 
they're not going to share it, but maybe Master Teague can like rent a room, sleep, sleep there during OTAs, right? I mean, you don't, Master Teague doesn't know if he's going to make the team or not. Um, he'll get a shot, right? I don't know if the Bears are a great fit, a terrible fit. I don't know. It's a new coaching staff. It's a new head coach. It's a new everything. That's good. It's not like the current coaches are in love with the guys who were on the roster because they weren't there last year. Master Teague will get a shot. Special teams, man. Career special teams guy. I don't know what the Bears are doing. I don't even think Justin knows what the Bears are doing. I think he's just showing up and hoping they they can find some people to protect him. Because Nathan, I'm sure, is upset by this, too. I mean, there's definitely a vibe. I've seen NFL people tweet it that like the Bears are screwing Justin Fields. They Literally. did not. They did not draft him a receiver that's going to matter. It doesn't feel like they're helping him. It's a little bit like what the Packers have seemed to do for the last several years when mm-hmm. they keep taking defensive guys. It's like yes, of course, having a good defense could be an, uh, a quarterback's best friend at well as well. But as much as a lot of people, me included, thought the Browns were going to take a receiver at forty-four. And they wound out wound up trading out of that. I think a lot of people thought the Bears, who did not have a first round pick because they gave it up to move up a year ago for Justin Fields, a lot of people thought the Bears would take a receiver at thirty nine. Instead, they take Kyler Gordon, the cornerback from Washington. When guys like Wandale Robinson and John Mechie and Tyquan Thornton and George Pickens and Alec Pierce and Sky Moore were all on the board, I don't know. Steven, I mean, you got to build a whole team, but Justin's got to have somebody to throw to, man. It feels like he's the only quarterback in that class that we left today's draft not feeling like his team invested in him. Because obviously the Jaguars had the first pick, so they were just going to go get the best guys available. That's a different conversation. The 49ers have a really good team and you know, already. So it's like, is their young quarterback not going to get in the way of a team who might play for a Super Bowl? Well, obviously we all know what the Jets did and the Patriots are the Patriots. Justin's the one where it's like, all right, we are going to give you this. We're going to roll the ball out there and see what you do there, which is some of that is it's a brand new coaching staff and they didn't pick him. He was picked by the last staff who's trying to, who was who were trying to save their job. But then also it's like, I mean, he's a, he's, this is his first year when he's walking in as the unrivaled starter. Let, let's do something here. Let's see what you that if, if I were a new coach, I would be trying to find out as quickly as possible about a quarterback, especially one in his first three years. And they didn't have an opportunity to do like what we're talking about. What we talked about a lot with what the Jets did with Zach Wilson by taking Garrett Wilson and then by yes. taking Jeremy Ruckert and by taking Brees Hall. They're leaning in. Hey, let's give our young quarterback some weapons. The Bears could not do that because they had to trade the pick to get just to, to begin with, but you're a little worried. I think we're all, we would, you know, anybody would be a little worried. Last year was a bit of a lost year for Justin Fields because everybody kind of knew that coaching staff was on the way out. And mm-hmm. Matt Nagy was like trying to save his job and should he call plays or should he give it up? And what's going to happen? And Oh, he's going to get fired in the middle of the year. No, he gets fired at the end of the year. And now Matt Eberflus is in there as a new head coach and he's got to figure it out and they got to take their time and they're going to build everything up and they got to learn everybody. And then it'll be Justin Fields third year. And it'll feel like now he's Mitch Trubisky all over again. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like, well, listen, man, like that's two years of a young guy's life. Yeah. Like a franchise. Hey, it's just two years in a hundred year old franchise. It's two years. Of Justin Fields career. You know what Joe Burrow did in year two? He made the Super Bowl. You think mm. Justin Fields is going to make the Super Bowl in year two? He doesn't have any receivers and the coach is trying to figure out who's on the team. So I do, you know, it happens sometimes, but as a lot of people have noted and have learned, and we all realized over the years, a lot of times the success of young quarterbacks in the NFL is 
not quite as much about them and more about the situation they go into and how they are developed. Do they have the same head coach? Do they invest in the things that make a young quarterback good? And at the moment, it doesn't really feel like that's happening in Chicago. Can it work out? Yes. Can Justin overcome it? Yes. He's a supremely talented quarterback, and I think he has strong mental fortitude, and he's not going to bail. But it's a little jacked up. I'm sure I would have to guess, Stephen, he was a little slump-shouldered when at 39, they could have – I think Sky Moore would have fit there. I was all over George Pickens. The idea that, like, mm-hmm. George Pickens dropped because of character stuff, it's like, what? Because, like, he, you know <laughs> – It's the NFL, man. And <laughs> He's not having off-the-field problems. So, like, yeah. sometimes the character stuff, um, I can punt on that, if what gets called character stuff. But there's a lot of guys. I just think there's there certainly were receivers available at 39 – that could have helped Justin and they picked a corner. Yeah. There's a difference between character issues and then somebody just being personality different. Um, He's going to have to Harrison high school, this thing, I feel like his skill set might allow him to do that where he just might have to run around a lot this year. Um, And basically do a, do a lot of stuff that goes, Hey, you should be investing in the, in me. And then a year from now, when that coaching staff is in their second off season, that's when you see it. Okay, those are the guys. Uh, any other free agents that got signed? Steven, we know Master got signed. Haskell got signed. Anybody else that came through? Not signed. Uh, Demario McCall and uh, Antoine Jackson are headed to camp. So Demario, I believe, is headed to the Bears. And I can't remember off the top of my head where Antoine oh. But they got, they got mini camp invites, yes. But no, okay. no Master Teague and um, Haskell, Haskell Gary, the only two that got signed with free agent deals. Oh, no. So the Bears, the Bears did get a receiver for – for Justin, they got tomorrow. Everything, forget everything we just said about the Bears. <laughs> they're the Super, yeah, they're winning the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, the first guy ever to go from uh, OT, uh, yeah, mini camp invite straight to Super Bowl MVP. We'll be back wrapping this up uh, on Ohio State record that fell in this draft. Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lane Reese and Stephen Means. You can try the text at six one four. 350-3315. We're texting a lot during the draft. We'd love to have you along. We're going to keep texting a lot about recruiting, about roster stuff, about stuff we're working on, about people we're talking to. Love to have you aboard. It's a two-week free trial, $4 a month after that. Record for number of picks in the draft. I was wrong about the most number of picks in the first three rounds that I thought Ohio State still had the record, and you corrected me on that, that LSU broke that a couple of years ago. But Ohio State, not Ohio State 2016, Ohio State 2004. Again, another year when Ohio State won the national championship, did not do much in the draft the next year, only had five mm. picks in 2003. But then in 2004, they had 14. Because, again, it was kind of a younger team that won the national championship. That record still stood. It was 2004 Ohio State tied by 2020 Alabama. Hmm. broken by Georgia, Georgia, 15 picks. So that two, that, that's a heck of a long time for Ohio state to hold that record. That's, that's a great tribute to, to, I mean, again, the people who think like, Oh, I don't know, Jim Trestle, it is like it 14 draft picks. Trestle got here, added dudes. They had 14 draft picks in 2014. A couple of those guys were John Cooper guys too. So anyway, that Georgia record falls, but it was noted I mean, that Ohio State record falls at the hands of Georgia. Not a shock. Uh, people thought this Georgia team was special, and they were, especially defensively. Nine years in a row, Ohio State's had at least five picks, as noted by Ohio State. Tw- six picks this year. Last year, 10, 10, 9, 7, 7, 12, 5, 6. 
back to 2013 when they had three. Steven, that's a pretty good run. I said that really fast because I was about to cough. Yeah. I said, Steven, that's a pretty <laughs> good run to have nine straight years with five guys at least drafted. It's one of those things. Six, like six is like, ah, oh, six is like not a great year for Ohio State, but it was still the second most in the Big Ten. And they've basically like done that for almost a decade now. It is a tribute to the consistency of the talent, which a decade ago was not always the case here. Yeah, I think the more interesting thing here is, um, well, I don't know if six isn't a good year, especially once you start adding context, um, especially with this specific year and maybe in other years. Like the one when they had, what, three, that's that's a bad year. You know, but also they were probably young men, too, because you had a new coaching regime come in for that 2012 season. The more interesting thing here is Ohio said only had one defensive player drafted. Yes. And the last time that happened was Nate Ebner in 2012 as the only and when he was a safety and he was a six round pick. He wasn't even drafted to play defense. He's like never played defense in the NFL. He was drafted to just play special teams. And he was like an all. all That's why he's one of the Patriots. Yeah. (laughs) That was still one of the craziest things. His agent was like, hey, hey Nate Aitner might get picked. We should do a story on him. And I was like, all right, I'll do a story on him. I was like, hey, they're going to draft a guy who like literally never played defense for Ohio State. It's like, yep, they are. The Patriots did. And it was a genius pick. So, yeah, it's it is. Uh, it's like relatively speaking, it's a down year because I mean, like it's six, but they haven't had as few as six since 2015. Mm-hmm. They've had 12, 7, 7, 9, 10, 10. So like it's like the worst year in like six or seven years. But again, it's a reminder that there was this stretch just like after that great trestle class in 14, they only had three and 05. They only had three and 08. They only had four in 2010. They only had four in 2012. They only had three in 2013. Like at, there, there were stages here where this was not NFL central, you know, when urban Meyer came and it was like, Hey, you know, we want to be, it's like, they, they were not a football factory in terms of ter- making money for guys. That was, it was, you know, Guys like A.J. Hawk and Ted Ginn Jr. Yeah. and Santonio Holmes and Dante Whitner and Nick Mangold, you know, Cam Hayward. There certainly were guys who did that, but it was not on the quantity level that it is now, where six is bad, relatively speaking. You know, they used to six used to be good for Ohio State. Now six is a bit of a dip. But I do think it's worth remembering, and I, I double-checked the math on this because I tried to update it, adding in this draft. So the NFL went to seven rounds in 1994. Mm-hmm. So in this, this is like the modern era since 1994, Ohio state has more draft picks than anybody since 1994. They now have 190 picks since 1994. Second is Alabama with 168 tied for third LSU and Florida with 159. And then Florida state has 155. But you look at that, Florida State this year, Stephen, one. Florida this year, three. So, like, those were some schools. Those schools are living off the past with a stat like that. LSU still getting it done from a draft standpoint. And, obviously, Bama and Ohio State are. But that is quite a thing in the modern draft era because that's Ohio State taking advantage of the Bama lull, the yeah. pre-Saban Bama lull while they were not doing stuff. And as a reminder, Stephen, they're a place like Texas not getting guys drafted. Right. USC, not many guys drafted. There are there are gigantic programs, Stephen. Like it's a big deal. Purdue, this was a big deal for Purdue had three guys drafted because they had George Karloftis, David Bell, and then Xander Horvath, their fullback, got taken in the seventh round. It was like three is great for Purdue. Three would be great for Texas right now. So the idea that like a six-person draft for Ohio State's not great, 
They lead since 1994, and they have a 22-player lead on Alabama. It is a reminder of the consistency at a high level of Ohio State talent. Yeah, Texas got to be pulling his hair out because the, <laughs> the bulk of their roster this year was a 2018, 2019, 2020 classes with their third, third, eight, and they didn't have anybody picked this year, which is ridiculous. Um, that's an impressive stat because with Ohio State, that is consistently being at the top. While with Bama's, that's since like a lot of that, 100, we said 168, a lot of that is since 2008. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's a, that's just like, cause I, I remember like Nathan brought it up in the last pod where they were showing over time and it's like Bama's not even on a list. And then from like 2010 to now, it's like they go from like 11th on the list to second because you just see it start creeping up there. But just, I, I wonder with this low of a year with Ohio State, because it is kind of, the we we thought this would be the the down year the blip year just based off the 2019 recruiting class uh young roster all that stuff new quarterback you know all the stuff we've talked about in the past i wonder if we now see the run we saw from 2014 and on with these now with the way ohio state's recruiting the fact that they're going to have a bunch of guys in the draft next year because all those guys are going to be eligible over the next couple of years here i wonder if just like Urban Meyer's 2013, that first draft class for Urban Meyer, that was what? That was three people. This is Ryan Day's low class. And then after that, you see it get back to eight, nine, 10 every year. Again, the idea that since 2016, it went 12, 7, 7, 9, 10, 10. Yeah. Could they go a decade without having as few as six? Could the next decade be, as you're saying, we don't see mm-hmm. a, a, a quote small class like this because again it's tied for seventh in the nation only georgia lsu cincinnati penn state alabama and oklahoma are ahead you know how many picks clemson had in this draft steven i think they had one two okay notre dame had two usc had three iowa had two right i mean this is Pitt that won the acc last year had two they had kenny pickett and somebody else, right? This is like, it's a, a reminder, but it. <laughs> Texas A&M, Texas A&M, everybody's going nuts about Jimbo and the way they're recruiting now. Texas A&M in this class had four, right? So, I mean, this mm-hmm. is, again, it's a reminder of it's all, most of the stuff we do on this podcast and in our Ohio State coverage, we're constantly trying to put Ohio State in context. Sometimes the biggest context we put Ohio State in is against itself. So when we say, oh, six, it's against itself. It's the lowest since 2015. But nationally, we think Clemson's ahead of Ohio State. Clemson had two picks. And Clemson had a bad year last year. And Clemson's not sure if their quarterback's going to be any good. And Clemson just lost both their coordinators to head coaching jobs. If we're thinking like, oh, man, Ohio State, Clemson, I don't know what Clemson talk's doing right now. I guess it's Tiger talk. Dabo talk, Sweeney talk, Sweeney talk. Welcome back to Sweeney talk. Sweeney talk is Sweeney talk freaking out. Two picks, two coordinators gone. DJ Uyunglele, how good is he? A little tenuous, my friend. I feel like Sweeney talk has a lot to talk about this offseason. Uh, we do too, obviously, because we do this five times a week. I think Sweeney talk could do 12 pods a week if they really wanted to. If we if we covered Clemson, we'd be doing 12 pods a week just based off all that stuff you just said. But also just feel really bad for Justin Ross because that guy, oh, like 
That guy was a first round draft pick after the 2019 national championship game. Without question. He was a guy I late in the draft. It's like the last couple of years, they didn't do it this year, but the last couple of years, the Browns sort of took a swing late in the draft on a high yeah. fruit. Donovan Peoples Jones, as an example, is like, ah, I wouldn't mind him seeing him taking a swing on Justin Ross here. Then Justin Ross goes undrafted. Yeah. So it's that much again, like serious major, major medicals that go from me a thousand yard receiver as a true freshman, absolute impact player. And then he gets derailed. He missed, he came back last year and was okay. Missed the whole previous year before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough road. I mean, I think I do. It's one of these things where we are in a great NIL debate right now. And um, we're going to talk about that a little more on the Tuesday podcast, but we are in a great NIL debate. But when you see stuff like that, it's like a guy like Justin Ross, that guy has to be able to get paid when he is at peak yeah. value while it's in college, because you do not know what the future holds. And I think, I think Thayer Munford to a lesser degree, because Thayer Munford's peak was never as high as Justin Ross's and his Valley is not as low as Justin Ross's because he was able to be a four-year starter and he did get drafted, but like a guy like that, man, that guy had some value and he had back surgery because he's putting it on the line for his amateur football team. That is a tough, that's tough stuff to deal with. So you say, yeah, that's part of why Clemson only had two picks. They had Andrew Booth go in the second round, who was a cornerback that some people had a first round value on. He's a really good player. And then they didn't have another pick until the seventh round. Bale Inspector as a seventh round linebacker. Now they've got a lot of guys back, a couple of good young running backs, DJ Uyunglele, who still has a lot of talent in his back, a bunch of defensive guys, Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy and Xavier Thomas, who could have come out yeah. and didn't. They're going to have a good draft next year. They have sure. a lot of guys. So it's one of those things. What does it mean when you have a quote bad draft class? Well, it might just mean that all your talent's still there. So maybe this to me is like, boy, it's a little indicative of where Clemson is right now, but it also might be watch out for Clemson in 2022. Mm -hmm. I think two picks tells us both stories, tells us a little something about why it got a little sideways for Clemson. And they still only lost three games last year. It's not like they went five and eight. They were still pretty good. They just weren't Clemson quality. I think two picks tells us why it got sideways and also why it might get straightened out. Cause there's a lot of big time recruits who are still there in Greenville, South Carolina. Anything else about this draft? We need to wrap up, Stephen. I wanted to make sure we got through those numbers. Uh, the, the one other thing I guess we could talk about a little bit, because I texted this out. The first Oklahoma State, this is a oh, Jim Knowles at, at yeah. Oklahoma State had a top five, arguably top two defense last year. The first Oklahoma State defensive player didn't go off the board until round six. Malcolm Rodriguez, mm-hmm. the linebacker that we have talked a lot about. He was a converted safety who moved to the linebacker. He's like Jim Knowles' ultimate defender. They actually had two more. Defensive guys get picked. They had Devin Har- Harper at linebacker go a few picks later at 193. Uh, and then uh, Christian Holmes, a cornerback, went at 240. And I thought they had another guy. I thought they had a safety that went too. Maybe not. Anyway, the bottom, they had a couple guys signed as free agents, but they had, I guess, three guys picked. So part of me, Stephen, it was like, hey, it's a reminder that Jim Knowles did a lot with a lot less natural talent than a place like Ohio State has. But by the way, the three picks for Oklahoma State is like a windfall for them. The Oklahoma State coverage of this is like, man, I can't believe only three guys got picked off that defense. It's like three guys got picked off that defense. What a great draft for the Cowboys. But it's a reminder of Oklahoma State and Ohio State are very different kind of places. Yeah. And I mean, all it really does is give you more optimism. Of Look with the talent he was working with. And Oklahoma State had one of the best defenses in the country. Now he's got talent 
all over the place. What does that mean for Ohio State's defense in 2021, 2022? Um, obviously, you don't want to go overboard with it. I think I think it's very easy to be like, oh, that means Ohio State's going to have the best defense in the country. Right. No, but like it should mean that Ohio State's defense should be, as we've talked about, it shouldn't, it's not an unrealistic expectation to say Ohio State has a top 25, top 30 defense. And I think it is a reminder, and we've talked about it some, and I think we'll continue to talk about it leading up to the season. It is an adjustment for Jim Knowles. You're going from a place where your best defensive player is a sixth round talent, is that where your best to a place where your best defensive player should be a top six pick talent. Mm-hmm. And and you I don't think you just exactly coach them or exactly scheme them the exact same way. Because at Oklahoma State, you just need to give the guys a little more help. And yeah. at Ohio State, they need help too. But their talent is going to punch through most of the time if they have the type of talent they normally have. And we do think the Ohio State defense in 2022 will come closer to having that type of talent. Ain't no Chase Youngs in Stillwater, baby. So, like, this is just – this is a reminder. It's like, oh, Malcolm Rodriguez, he's excellent. I think if you said to Jim Knowles, Jim Knowles, who is the ultimate defensive player? He might say Malcolm Rodriguez. And we're like 188. And it's like, okay, there might be – in a good year for Ohio State, they should have six defensive guys taken before 180. <laughs> Malcolm right? Rodriguez is in your Malcolm Rodriguez is in the two deep at Ohio State, but he's not the starting linebacker at Ohio State. Right. So well, in most cases, I don't know about last year, but you know. So yeah, it's just interesting. It's just an interesting, it's a reminder of the difference, which we knew. But again, I think a lot of times it's not that the draft tells you anything you didn't know but it confirms stuff that you think you mm-hmm. thought. And it's like, yep, nope, that was right. And again, one of the things that gets confirmed, Cincinnati wasn't a group of five team last year. Cincinnati was a power five team. Like oh. anybody who was like, it's like, oh, I don't know. Cincinnati, should they have been in the playoffs? It's like, dude, they had the third most number of draft picks. Georgia 15, LSU 10, Cincinnati 9. Cincinnati had more draft picks than Alabama. Yes, they deserve to be in the playoff. Cincinnati had almost twice as many draft picks as Michigan. Yes, they deserve so, to be in the playoff. So who really won that game? <laughs> Yeah, for real. It's like Alabama <laughs> upset Cincinnati in college football semifinal. We had the line wrong on that the whole time. Also, they had Bryce Young and Will Anderson, and they weren't allowed to be in the draft yet. But, yes, yeah, still, okay. <laughs> numbers are numbers. Nine for Cincinnati. Cincinnati beats Bama, parentheses, in 2022 NFL draft. Yep. Um, all right, that will do it. we got a bunch of podcasts coming for you this week, and we're planning something special at the end of this week. We want to make sure you tune in every day. Get subscribed to Buckeye Talk. We are planning a draft of the best Ohio State players in the NFL. And we are planning for the idea that it'll be a crossover pod with our Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And we're inviting our NFL writers to join us. Or Steven will be in the draft. I'll be in the draft. And we'll have a couple of Browns writers in there and try to decide. I think, Steven, the parameters to me would just be if you had an NFL team. And the only it's like you're starting an expansion team. And it's the only guys you, that are available are former Buckeyes. And it's not Joe Burrow and it's not Jamison Williams. Guys who, when they left college, yeah. did so in the Ohio State jersey. And now you're building a team. So are you building a team for right now? Are you building a team on potential? Are you building, well, whatever. So how do you balance Garrett Wilson versus Cam Hayward? I don't know. But Cam Hayward's still good. I wouldn't sleep on Cam Hayward just because he's been around for a long time. So that, to me, I think it'll be really interesting to try to figure out It'll be a reminder, a reminder of that there right now. And as we just said, it wasn't always the case. When I started covering this team, it wasn't the case that it wasn't just stacked NFL talent. It is now. And who are the best guys? We'll do that draft 
later this week on Buckeye Talk. But for now. Oh, and a a recruiting announcement. We'll probably have a recruiting pod late in the week. What's the recruiting guy who's making a decision this week that Ohio State's in on? Yeah, Austin Saravelt. Yeah, He'll be committing at his high school at Lakota East on Wednesday. I think it's at 2 p.m. Okay. Um, or 3 p.m. I can't remember the top of my head. But, but yeah, I'll be there um, talking to him. He doesn't really like to do media, but he's going to talk to us that day. Because if you didn't want to talk to us, then you wouldn't have a announcement ceremony. Haha. <laughs> but, yes, he should be the final in-state offensive lineman Ohio State adds alongside uh, Josh Padilla and Luke Montgomery before they head out national and Justin Fryer earns his money. So that will probably be a big chunk of the Thursday pod. Then we'll be covering what happens when you are there covering that announcement on Wednesday for now for Stephen means I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye talk. <laughs>